My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you, to sit underneath the word of Christ and rejoice in that word along with you. If you would, please stay in your Bibles there. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. That's where we will be today. Some of my favorite movies, maybe yours are too, are movies that involve legal cases, court cases, trials. And in these trials, the course of the movie usually narrates some sort of uh, progression, transition between the perspective uh, that maybe begins the movie with the jury and then towards the end of the movie when the jury finally has enough evidence presented to them that the entire perspective and the final uh, end, of the, uh, the end of the case is resolved, overturned, changed. And it builds and builds as the, as the evidence mounts. Is this person innocent or are they guilty? There's a shift in perspective. It's always engaging to me, especially when those bombshell pieces of evidence come. And this morning in our text in Mark, in a similar way, Mark is writing, it's not a court case, but he's writing, he's making a case. He's making an argument for who Jesus is. He's not writing in propositions, he's writing in narrative form. He is, he is presenting to us the story of Jesus Christ as Mark has written it, as Mark has received it as the eyewitness testimony of Peter. And he's drawing us in that we would engage this story piece by piece, evidence by evidence, be drawn in to understand who Jesus is. We want to engage Jesus this morning and we're moving into a narrative part of this gospel. And some, in, some pretty incredible evidence comes in this morning. Some amazing evidence about this person, Jesus. And I pray that with the power of the Holy Spirit, God may cause our eyes to be opened. That we, like, like that common jury in movies, would have a shift in perspective. That maybe we come in here this morning with one idea about Jesus, and may we leave with a completely altered perspective, a greater perspective, to see Jesus in all of his glory. We're going to read this story and go through it verse by verse to, to situate ourselves in it like the disciples, like those first uh, believers there in this story that are, that are encountering Jesus day by day. We want to first situate ourselves in the story to, to feel it. So we're going to walk through the story as it's happening, and then we will make two points, two main points that I have this morning, truths from this text, and that is this. Number one, that Jesus is the sovereign God. And secondly, that Jesus is the saving God. We're going to see those two truths in this story. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, you have opened up our eyes today. You've filled our lungs with air and oxygen and our hearts are beating today. This, this day is a gift from you. It's not an accident that we are here today, God. You number our steps and you plan our steps and you have brought every one of us here this moment to hear your word. 
God, we pray that your will would be done here this morning. You would send your Holy Spirit to empower your word. Argue it to our hearts, God. There's no amount of evidence that we can see apart from faith blowing upon the facts on our hearts that we would say yes to anything in the Bible. So God, come here. May your Holy Spirit come. Open up our ears that we may have ears to hear. That we may have eyes to see and hearts to behold your son Jesus in all of his beauty. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the setting for our story begins in verse 35 and 36. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. On that day, is literally on that day, what day we saw in verse 1 of chapter 4, on this day of teaching. It's another day. Jesus is a teacher. The crowds are flocking to him. And he's teaching again on this day by the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are massive. They're pressing in around him. So he gets in a boat. He pushes off from the shore. And he's made himself this little floating pulpit. He's out in the water and he's speaking to the crowds. He's teaching all day long. It's on this day. And the sun begins to come down. And Jesus says, it's time, guys. It's time for us to move on. When he says it's time, it's time, and off they go. If you are the disciples, you might be thinking, all is good. Things are, in fact, great. Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons. The crowds are coming. Ministry is thriving. Jesus is crushing his ministry. And we're a part of it. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Off into the sea they go. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. What could go wrong? A windstorm could go wrong. And on the Sea of Galilee, things can get serious and get serious very, very quick. This is what the Sea of Galilee is known for. It's a very interesting body of water. It's the lowest freshwater body of water in the world. It's almost 700 feet below sea level. And it's situated down inside of all these highlands, Mount Hermon to the north. And being situated down in that pocket as it is. Essentially, it's perfect conditions to become a massive wind tunnel. Wind 
can come scorching, screeching down, roaring down from the mountains onto that body of water at a moment's notice and can, be, and can become extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. And this is no small little pond. It's actually 13 miles long and eight miles wide. And here the disciples are. They're probably out in the middle of this thing. And it's dark. Can't swim home. There's nowhere to go. And the waves are breaking into the boat. It says water is already filling the boat. That means we are about to reach that critical level where the amount of water begins to determine that this boat is no longer floating. This boat is going to be sinking. That critical point is here. That's where the disciples are. One storm driven by two great factors, the wind around them and the waves beneath them. You need to feel the absolute chaos in this moment. It's absolute chaos. Their environment is shaken. There's no solid ground anywhere. Everything around them has been disrupted. And death by drowning is staring them down. By all probability, that's what's going to happen. That's what they believe is going to happen. It's over. We're going down. This is our appointed end. It's chaotic. Fury of a storm. Hurricane force winds here. And where is Jesus? Verse 38. He is in the stern asleep on the cushion. Jesus is passed out on his Tempur-Pedic, cozied up, asleep. Jesus is asleep. And what do the disciples do? Well, they go to him and they wake him up and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He rebukes the wind. And he says to the seas, be still. This word rebuke, it's the very same word used in first part of Mark when Jesus rebukes the demons. It's rebuking these forces. He doesn't pray. He doesn't have a ceremony. 
It doesn't go try to offer a sacrifice. It doesn't turn on Rocky to get himself amped up, get his muscles flexed so he can go to war and go to do battle. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't scream. He doesn't holler like he's out of control or not up for the challenge. No, he merely speaks. Be still. Peace. He says a word. And the winds and the waves obey him. You might could write off the wind calming as some sort of coincidence, but you could not write off the waves turning like glass. I love water skiing and going outside of the wake on a, on a calm evening when that water is like glass. It's so calm. And that's what happens. Hurricane force winds and waves that are terrifying all of a sudden become super, super calm. The word that he used actually is a Greek word that we use mega, mega calm. It becomes mega calm. Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? He's rebuked nature and the wind and the seas. And now he's rebuking the disciples. Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus rebukes them, but Jesus is gracious. He's gracious. He's revealing himself in greater measure to them, even though he believes they should have already known, should have already known what's happening in me as the Messiah. You should have known these things. But nevertheless, I'm gracious and I'm meeting you and your fear calming your fears. But then it says the disciples are left in great fear. Again, this word mega, we actually see it three times in our text. There's a mega storm. Then there's the mega calm. And then there's the mega fear. It's what John MacArthur calls the, this is the storm after the calm. Everything on the outside has become calm, except there's something raging inside of this boat, inside of their hearts. There's a storm going on inside of their hearts, and it's fear at this person. Internally. Whoa, there's wind here today. Lord Jesus. This person... In the boat, they are utterly unfamiliar with. Utterly unfamiliar. Foreign. It's a foreign person. This, this person with this power, we, we've never come in contact with anything like this before. And he's in our boat. He's with us. This is far more terrifying than the storm even. Fear grips their hearts. And they begin saying to one another, who is this? And the language is an ongoing verb. They kept on saying. They kept on saying to one another, who is this? 
The wind and the sea obeys him. Mark ends this story right here abruptly, and he ends it for a reason there. Because we are being faced with this same question this morning. Who is this? Who is this man? He speaks to the skies and to the wind and to the waves. Who is he? That brings us to point number one. Jesus is the sovereign God. Who has this kind of power that the winds and waves would obey him? God does. Mark leaves it a bit open to us here, but we're reading this passage in context. Remember, Mark is on a mission. Chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his thesis statement for this book. I'm writing that you may know Jesus, who he is, the the. the Savior of the world, Lord, Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is wanting us to encounter Jesus. He's arguing that this man is the Son of God. He's God. As the disciples are engaging Jesus in this way, so are we this morning. And the obvious point here in our text is that this man has this type of power. There's a power that that exudes and emanates from this man. He he is power. It's not something he reaches for and has as if it's secondary to his nature. Like this man is power. Even in our text today, there's a little bit of a transition that Mark is walking us through. We've just been through four parables. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. And then today we begin four miracles about the power of Jesus. Today's miracle is his power over nature. Next we'll see his power over demons. And then we'll see disease. And then finally death as the narrative continues. Jesus is powerful over all these things. Therefore, Jesus is God. The disciples would have had a few texts rolling around in their brains, if not at least informing their conscious awareness here. I'm thinking certainly, of course, Genesis chapter 1, where God speaks the heavens and the earth into existence. And here Jesus is speaking to the heavens and the earth. They're obeying him. There's also Psalm 107 that they certainly would have known. Psalm 107, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. Verse 23 says this, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. What were those works? For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Verse 29, He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. They cried to God in the depths of the waters. And God answered from heaven. Delivered them. 
Here, Jesus is doing that very thing, but he's not answering from heaven. He's answering from the boat. He's doing the very thing that only God does. That's recorded in the scriptures, in the history of God's people. Or from other testimony of scripture, Colossians 1 verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Or Hebrews 1, 3, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. This is Jesus, the God-man. Fully human, fully divine. We see both at work here on display in this boat. Jesus is exhausted in his human nature. He's passed out. A day of teaching has left him worn out and exhausted. He needs sleep. And yet the one who sleeps rises and speaks to the storm and the storm is still. Fully human and fully divine. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the sovereign God of the universe. That's the sovereign peace, but we also see here the Savior peace. Jesus is the saving God. This is not just power abstractly or that we might really fear. This is power that is for us. Sovereign God and His power for us in saving work. We back up to the question the disciples were asking. They were asking Jesus. They're actually rebuking Jesus. There's a lot of rebukes going on in this passage. They're rebuking Jesus. They're freaking out. So they go wake up Jesus, and it's a rebuke. Don't you care? Jesus? Don't you care that we're going to die out here? And you're just going to lounge, be asleep in there on your cushion? Don't you care? They're not doubting his power. They're doubting his heart. They're doubting his heart. And in fact, I don't think they're leaning on his power at all in this moment. Not at all. The text doesn't say exactly why they went to go to Jesus or what they were expecting Jesus to do. But it was not that they were going to him to exert his lordship over creation. They were going to Jesus to try to get him to operate inside of the storm, not operate above the storm. Right? If that was the case, the story doesn't make sense. Their fear wouldn't make sense. Their shock wouldn't make sense. No, they're going to Jesus trying to get him to come help out. Like, grab a bucket, Jesus. Come help us bail water. Don't you care? We're all about to die here. This boat is going down. Jesus 
does care. And he does have power. They missed him on both accounts. They missed his power and they missed his heart. He does care. Jesus wakes up. He meets them right where they're at in the storm where they are. And he calms the storm. He satisfies their fears. This, this account, the story of Mark is uniquely and strangely, interestingly, very much in parallel to the story of Jonah. There's a lot of variables here that are in parallel. Jesus and Jonah are both asleep in a boat during a deadly storm. Both are woken up by a panicked crew thinking that they are going to die. And in both cases, miraculous intervention comes and calms the storm. And in both cases, the crew is left more fearful after the calming of the storm than before. If we broaden our scope, these storms are pointing us to a far greater storm than wind and waves. The Bible has one overarching message and it's trying to get to us here. Pointing us to a greater storm. The storm of God's wrath. Storm of His justice that would come down in wrath on all sin, on all evil. That wrath. An eternal wrath that we all sinners deserve. Romans 3, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is, we justly deserve His wrath that's coming for us all. The water in our moral boat has already filled up. It's filling up and there's no amount of bailing that we can do to try to get this water out of our boat. We are morally bankrupt, guilty, evil. We're not holy. And we're deserving of God's wrath. That is a storm of all storms. That's a fury of all furies. And this story and the story of Jonah also points us to a far greater deliverance. Not by Jesus speaking words to the storm, but by Jesus sacrificing Himself for us in the storm. Just like Jonah had to be plunged into the waters before the waters would become calm, calm so Christ plunges Himself willingly into the storm of God's wrath that we might receive the calm blessedness of the peace of God. He plunges Himself into the waters of judgment. He, he does this for us. You've got to feel the care here. Gone is any possibility of rebuke to Jesus to say to Him, you don't care about me. He does care. He's the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the sinner. Jonah said, because of me, this storm is here, so throw me into the waters. 
Jesus says, because of you, the storm is here. But because I care so much about you, I will go into the storm for you. Jesus cares. Romans 8. This is the testimony of God. If Christ has been given, if God has given us Christ, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? God cares for us today. This is care in the extreme. And three days later, Jesus emerges from the waters. He comes out. Symbolized in baptism, right? He comes out of the grave. Victory over sin, the devil, and death. And when he comes out, those words ring loud and clear and true to the eternal storm that we are facing. Peace. Peace. He silences every foe. He rebukes every enemy of ours. Be still. And to you, church and believer, peace. The Prince of Peace is here. He's died willingly for us. The joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And He stands today as the Sovereign Lord over our lives with peace in his hands, care in his heart, affection for us. The stillness and the peaceness that we will enjoy is now forever. It's a kingdom of righteousness and peace that will never, never end. Does this mean that all of the storms in our lives are going to be calm and stilled by Jesus? If we just come to Jesus and have our storms stilled? No. It's not, what, it's not what this text is teaching. Can Jesus do that? Yes. Does He always do it? No. Not in this life. All of our metaphorical storms, the disciples weren't going to have that. <laughs> Their lives were going to be rough. They were going to be killed, crucified. That's what happens to believers. It's your body sawn in two, your head cut off. This world is in opposition against us. It's not, it's not our home. And the promise is not for peace here on this earth. But what does this text then teach us? Well, it does teach us that Jesus is sovereign over our storms. It does teach us that Jesus is constantly revealing to us His power through our storms. It does teach us that Jesus is constantly with us in our storms. And it does teach us that Jesus will always, always and forever lead us through the storms that we do face in this life and certainly in death, Jesus will be faithful to us to bring us to our eternal resting place in the presence of God. What other evidence do you need this morning? 
the evidence of sin? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to both faith upon the facts? Make your decision today. If you're an unbeliever, now is the day for salvation. Open up your heart to say, yes, I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are God. You are the sovereign one. And I believe in your sovereign and your saving work where power and love are on full display for me in the cross. Believe today in Jesus and church. May we be strengthened. May we be strengthened to endure this life. May we be strengthened to have faith. I know sometimes we feel like Jesus is absent from our trials. He feels asleep. He's not. He is the ever-present one, ever-abiding with us here now. Though the waters rage around us and the powers of hell come against us, Jesus is with us. May we not fear. May we go on declaring the kingdom of God. May we go on believing in Christ. May we be strengthened for mission today. For eternal joy and eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your son Jesus to us. Sovereign, the sovereign God in control of every variable, every molecule, every atom in this universe, controlled, submitted, we thank you, God, that the devil is on a leash this morning. And he can only go so far as you say it's okay for him to go. We thank you, God, that you did not use your sovereign power to wipe us off the face of the earth. But you used your sovereign power to sacrifice for us and to bring us salvation. We praise you and we magnify your name. We thank you. For the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Strengthen our faith now, God. In your name we pray. Amen.